Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. There's a saying in life that you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. So in this episode, we're going to talk about negotiation. We're joined by Mark Raffin, who's a professional negotiator, a coach, and the host of the Negotiations Ninja podcast. This episode is also to recognize Mark's recent accomplishment of publishing the 100th episode of his podcast. It's a huge accomplishment, and he deserves the credit for creating a very valuable resource for us all to really step up our game in negotiation. His guests are world-class, and their advice on negotiation will change your life. I can actually tell you firsthand that I've been putting some of the tactics I've learned from his podcast to work, and it's amazing at how well they work. It's like having a secret weapon. Now, there's no doubt that negotiation plays a crucial role in financing a company. So we talk about some of the tactics and styles that you can put to use. We also talk about some of the misconceptions of negotiation, his favorite episodes, and it surely wouldn't be complete without a discussion about Donald Trump and his negotiating skills. And as a final note, I'd like to say thanks to Mark as he's the one who pushed me to start this podcast, The Insider's Guide to Finance. So thank you for listening. And also thanks to Mark for putting me up to the challenge. On the line, I have Mark Raffin, who is the negotiation ninja himself. I'm really happy to have you on, man. And I want to do this in, in part because you do such a great podcast and such great work on negotiation. And the second part is to uh, celebrate and say thank you. You've now hit 100 episodes in your podcast, the Negotiation Ooh, yeah, Ninja podcast. Yeah, 100. <laughs> 100, <laughs> bud. Well, thank you, man. That's what, what an introduction. I'm, I'm happy to be here as well. Pleasure to be on your show. Well, man, this show, the, the Insider's Guide to Finance, wouldn't be here with, uh, without your help and uh, you prodding me to get this done. And I have to say, it's pushing into 25 episodes here. Nice. But when you get complete strangers emailing you and say, hey, thanks so much for this. It's like, you know what? This is cool. This is really worth it. And it's, you know, of course, yeah. it's not me. It's the guests bringing forward that information. But uh, that's been really rewarding. And then uh, I have to put it back to you and say thanks a lot and congrats on hitting 100. So oh, thanks uh, very much, man. You know, when you do some, like when you get those messages back from your guests, you know, you've done something right. And mm. just that is validation on its own, I find, when you're like, you're wondering, is anyone actually listening to this? Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just that alone is worth it, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll definitely reflect back on, on the first hater that I had who uh, had to run his mouth about how us finance guys just run our mouths. But, <laughs> you know, and, and like you said, you and I were chatting about that. And you're like, yeah, you know, you're doing the right thing then. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, if people hate you, I, this is a terrible thing to say, I guess. But like, if people hate you, you're doing something right. Because you're not going to be able to please everyone, 
right? So mm-hmm. as long as you're as long as you're hitting your target, as long as you're hitting your target market with the episodes, you're gonna have people that are like, no, I totally disagree, and I think this guy's a putz. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna yeah. happen, right? You're gonna have people that just don't like you. Yeah, it just I think <laughs> you just got to do it. The media world is a is a complete new world for myself and uh, and for you, but you've you've made it. So what do you what do you say? What do you give a give us an introduction? And I mean, in the world of finance damn near everything's negotiation. But you've gone to the lengths of really studying this, sitting down with some of the, the biggest minds in the world of negotiation. So how about an introduction about yourself? Yeah, thanks, man. Well, uh, Negotiations Ninja is... The podcast is about... Well, it is. It's 100 episodes old right now. Um, and now we're, you know, we're thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads every single week from all over the world. And we interview, like you said, some of the greatest minds in negotiation, decision quality, persuasion, influence, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just been an incredible journey. We've had guests like Chris Voss, the guy who wrote Never Split the Difference. He's the former chief of hostage negotiation at the FBI. To Mike Wheeler, who is one of the uh, head instructors at Harvard's program on negotiation. To Robert Greene, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power. So, like, it's the breadth of guests that we've had and the quality of guests that we've had uh, has really been incredible. Uh, That's really the content side of what I do. The other side of what I do is all about negotiation training. So I give negotiation training to procurement and sales teams all around the world. And that's something that I do uh, every single week. And in fact, it just never ends. So yeah, just an incredible journey so far. And it's been lots and lots of fun. I'm making it sound a lot smoother than it actually was. But it's <laughs> it's been an incredible journey, man. Lots of fun. That's yeah, it's awesome. And it's you know, I, I I have to say, when I started getting into it, I really cued in on some episodes that uh have have changed the way I approach things. And nice. um yeah, so maybe we'll get into that in a bit. I'll talk about a few of those. When looking at at, at negotiations. I think there's some misconceptions out there about it. And totally. you know, one of the ones that you and I have chatted about before is the world of win-win. So what is your position on a win-win negotiation? Oh man, you're going to get me haters right away on this. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think win-win is the biggest lie that's ever been told uh, in negotiation. I don't think it's, I don't think it's accurate and I don't think it is feasible. Uh, I think people come into, I guess it depends on how you, on how you define win-win. I think a lot of people think of win-win as both parties come out of it with an equal share of the pie, right? Both parties are coming out and they've gotten a fair share, quote unquote, whatever fair means. And they've got an equal slice of the pie and you know both parties are going away happy. The fact of the matter is, if you've been around negotiation for a while, there is no way that anyone is going to get exactly 50-50 of any negotiation. Someone is going to get more. Someone is going to get more of the pie. Um, maybe it's mutually beneficial, right? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes, you know, someone could get more and someone could get less, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not mutually beneficial, but it's not win-win. So I think to classify that as win-win is is very dangerous. This is what I thought was interesting was in the way you look at going into negotiations, not looking and perhaps bending to try to get that win-win, but going at it and saying, what's mutually beneficial? And yeah. that mind frame switch is something that I think is a powerful way to look and say, you know, well, really, what do they need? 
And yeah, exactly. I don't think you need to be going out of your way to to get a win for the other party. That's on them, right? Like you've got to look after yourself first because ultimately that's why you're negotiating. Yes, you want something that's mutually beneficial because you're trying to develop a, hopefully, if it's not a zero-sum negotiation, like you're not negotiating a car, for example, if you're negotiating something of substance, you want something that's going to develop some sort of a long-term relationship. And yes, in those circumstances, you want something that's mutually beneficial. But for them to get a win, that's on them. They, they got to work for that. Hmm. And. And another thing here that, in fact, in uh, in your latest episode, episode 100 with Robert Greene, he talks about almost the natural air that people, when mo- moving into a negotiation, they're too nice. Yeah. Like 95% of people side on the, on the side of being too nice, and maybe about 5% are those sharks that you run into. Yeah. And I, like, and I think also this is dangerous because it, it doesn't mean that you can't be nice, right? Like you can be nice in a negotiation, but I think what people do too much in a negotiation, they concede too easily because they want to be accommodating. So I want to, I want to differentiate between being nice and being accommodating. So I think most people are way too accommodating in a negotiation. So if someone asks for something, they're like, yeah, you know, Maybe we can find a way to get that done without asking for anything in return. You should hmm. never go into a negotiation and make a concession without asking for something in return because then you're just, you're just giving away value. So I think way too many people are, are far too accommodating in a negotiation. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Well, one of the things I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm picturing how this applies to the world of negotiate or world of finance. And you know, oftentimes with the audience that I speak to, they're pre-public or public companies, and the lifeblood of early stage company is is the money they raise. It's financing their growth. As a CEO, you need that money. Like you don't have a lot of options. So when you're at the table and and negotiating terms, what advice do you have for for very high stakes negotiations where? From a CEO's perspective, a, a perception that like if I don't get this money, I'm I'm high and dry. Yeah, I, I think Chris Voss said it best: don't hold yourself hostage, right? Like if you've got that mindset going into the negotiation, you've basically psychologically held yourself hostage, and you've negotiated with yourself before you even go in. So you're conditioning yourself to make concessions before you go in because you're feeling like if I don't get this money. I have to, well, I have to get this money. And so I'm willing to make any concession to get this money. And so I think you've got to be really disciplined. That's really dangerous mindset to be in because then you get tied up into the emotion of the negotiation. And you can't escape emotion in negotiation because emotion is, is part of what negotiation is. You just have to manage it effectively. But you've got to be really disciplined about knowing what you can and cannot give away in order to get the thing that you want. So if it's money that you're looking for before you go in, have a very, very clear understanding of where you're going to walk away. What, what are you willing to concede and what are you not willing to concede? Because if you concede too much, then you're going to get yourself into a deal that doesn't make sense, right? And so you're going to, let's say you're getting equity and you're, you're giving up an ownership position that is significantly more than you wanted to give up. And now you've lost control, so to speak. You're not the largest shareholder anymore, not the largest individual shareholder. And maybe that's not 
the position that you want to be in because you've got a very clear vision for where you want the company to go. And if someone else has a very clear vision that's different than yours, and now that's basically going to screw up your plans. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got to be very, very clear about what you're willing to accept and what you're not willing to accept. I mean, that comes down to that that preparation, preparation in advance of these negotiations, including your your own mental preparation. Totally. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, there's so many different facets of uh, of the negotiation process that kind of apply to finance. And I, you know, I'm thinking of a, of a story in which I was speaking with somebody yesterday who uh, we discussed this individual had a CEO and uh, that, in, that CEO went and negotiated. He was a founder and then he brought on a CEO what negotiated uh, some terms, and really, what 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 it came down to is this founder ended up getting the short end of the stick, where collectively they didn't negotiate properly, they didn't mm-hmm. do their their homework, and they didn't yeah. come to the table uh, prepared, and there was a lot of value lost there. So, uh, really, I mean, I guess what I'm looking at there, and partly partly what I've learned from uh, listening to the work you've done is. The, the preparation is so huge, yeah, both mentally and I think strategically. I mean, if you go, I think this is another big misconception that a lot of people have about negotiation, right? And I think in large part, we have the media to blame for it. You, you see movies like Boiler Room or Wolf of Wall Street. And, you know, these guys are hot tongue guys on the phone, slinging deals. And the truth is that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not that way at all. So the assumption that you can just wing it in a negotiation is, is so, so wrong. You've got to plan and prepare and strategize. And really more than anything, it comes down to decision quality more than anything else. So many people, you know, say, well, that's not my negotiation style. Can you define decision quality? Oh man, uh, your ability to make good decisions that are in line with what your planned strategy is, right? So, I mean, if your strategy is to do X and you do Y, you've made some, you've made some terrible decisions along the way. <laughs> You're going to get it wrapped up like in one of the episodes that I have, and it, she wrote a fantastic book. Her name's Annie Duke. Um, she wrote a book called Thinking in Bets, which is a brilliant, brilliant book. She's a former World Series of Poker uh, player, and she talks all about probabilistic thinking. And the thing that she talks about the most is um, getting caught up in the biases that we have about different decisions or different roots of decisions and how our own internal biases affect how we make our decisions. And without a conscious understanding of how our biases affect our decisions, we're going to continue to make bad decisions. So you've got to be very clear about not only what your strategy is, but then you've got to start thinking, okay, well, what are my biases? What am I going in in assuming? What am I going in uh, thinking that I'll get. Am I too overconfident? And a lot of us who are like in the finance game or in the negotiation game, many of us are very confident and sometimes too overconfident. And there's a stat that um, she speaks about where most people, the vast majority of people, think that they're better drivers than the average driver, which is statistically impossible, right? Like it, mm. it's impossible for everyone to mm-hmm. be better than the average. And so that's just 
a fact, like most of us go in super overconfident. And I think if we go in with that sort of attitude, we're in danger of missing something. So we've got to really humble ourselves to be like, okay, I'm confident, yes, but you know, something's missing. I'm missing something in this and I need to make a good decision around this. So we need to really pull ourselves back from the edge, so to speak, and do the work that's necessary to determine what our biases are and what we need to do to stick to our strategy. Hmm. You know, that it's, it really just comes down to that preparation and yeah. very, very much putting the time in. And, and I can think back to some of the, uh, the deals we were in and, and negotiating terms where the I think what we did well was really sitting down as a team and going through and saying, okay, what are our, what are our main points? What are our non-starters? And then what can we give and what can we take? Yeah. And, and, you know, in some ways, I mean, I can think of one negotiation, which was, uh, um, I mean, it was, it was a great part of my early career, but the, the preparation was a really big part of that. So yeah. what I'm hearing and to, to, to end on that decision quality, it, to, to me, it seems that it's that prep that makes the difference. Huge, huge difference. And, and really just understanding yourself, really understanding what your biases are. Because even if you prep, and you go in with certain biases, you're still going to make those same decisions. So just understanding right. where you have biases is big. Right, right. Kind of opening up your blind spots. Yep. So th the next piece here is, and this is what I found interesting, is that the world of negotiation, I think a lot of us just think about it as like, okay, it's just some give or take. But there's been a lot of study around it. And yep. it's, it's an evolving field. And you're starting to get more uh, empirical science that's, that's indicating ways we act as humans and on and on and on. Uh, what is that? How's that evolved? Oh man, it's such a big body of research. I mean, really it started like back in the seventies and eighties. Uh, if you look back to work that um, Howard Rafa did at uh, Harvard on um, game theory and how game theory ties into negotiation. And then that sort of evolved into a whole bunch of different streams of things now we're talking about the psychology of negotiation and the tactical side. And so it's almost like the, the field has kind of split off and there's a spectrum that exists. Um, you, you've got your, you know, your program of negotiation, Harvard guys on one side, you've got your Jim camps and your Chris bosses on the other side and then everything in between. So uh, the, the theories of negotiation are endless. And we say theories because there's no hard and fast rule, right? There's no hard and fast law. Some techniques work and for some people and some techniques work well for, for other people. Um, and different negotiations require different techniques and different strategies. So it's, it's an ever-evolving field. Um, but if you want to learn more about it, I highly recommend that you key into the work that Harvard is doing at their program on negotiation. They're well thought of as the leading think tank um, when it comes to negotiation. They've got a ton of research online, and it's super, super interesting. So where where does that that kind of spectrum lie? I mean, I, I'm going to draw on Chris Voss and the, the work that I've learned from the, his book, Never Split the Difference. And, uh, I mean, he's the former, uh, international hostage negotiator. I mean, such a great book, uh, yeah, never really split the difference, but that's a very interesting approach. You can't split the life of a human. So the way he approaches 
negotiation is different from perhaps somebody in a boardroom. Totally. And am I wrong to think that the that the the difference there of those in the boardroom is more of the world of Harvard thinking and their their approach? Yeah, and and also sort of the political side. So the guys at Harvard also do a work on a lot of work uh, with uh, leaders of countries and figuring out you know trilateral agreements between organizations and countries and figuring out how they can come to an agreement on different issues. So it's it's very very intricate work. When you're looking at the main differences between like you know Jim Camp and Chris Voss who are on one side Jim Camp wrote a great book called Start with No um so if you've read Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference you should also read Start with No which is fantastic and then you compare that to the guys at Harvard it's it's a i don't want to say it's a totally different approach but one is more more tactical than the other Chris Voss and Jim Camp are tend to be more tactical than the guys at Harvard who are very much interested in understanding um, the why behind something. So they'll go to the nth degree to do all the research, all the questioning, um, and really try and determine the best strategy possible. Um, whereas in my opinion, the Chris Vosses and the Jim Camps of the world are more focused on the immediate negotiation. And, and that sort of makes sense because... You know, if you think of Chris Voss's background, he's presented with a situation where, you know, someone's holding someone's hostage or, you know, someone's going to take their lives or something like that. And you've got to be able to rea- react very quickly and uh, develop rapport super quickly and resolve the situation almost immediately, right? So there, there, there can be no compromise in those kinds of situations because people will die, Right, the, the compromise is people die, and so when you think of the title "Never Split the Difference," which could be labeled, you know, "Never Compromise," that totally makes sense when you think of his background. But in a boardroom, I don't know of any situation where someone's held a gun to someone's head and you know someone's died. So y- you've got to think of it from each of their perspectives. It's not that each is. Each one will profess that they are the right way, I'm sure, but they're not. You've got to have the best of both to be a super effective negotiator. It's not like one way is better than the other. It's not like, you know, the guys at Harvard, just because they study this all day long, are better. There are certain things that they preach that um, may be more beneficial in certain situations than, than other ways. So I think in order to be mature about it, you've got to really try and take the best of both sides and determine how it fits best in your specific situation. Hmm. Because if you're not a hostage negotiator, then you know, you're probably going to use more of the, the Harvard-style negotiation uh, strategies and tactics. But you're probably going to use some of the Voss stuff to get to you know, some more definite results. Like the great thing that Voss does is he, he, he really puts people to a decision, I think, more than anything else. He, he, he gets to that result a lot faster than maybe the other side does. So mm-hmm. you, I think you've got to be able to use both. Hmm. Interesting. I, well, it's, um, if anything, there's, there's 
But what I'm what, what it's illuminated for me is is the amount of work that's going on in the space and the amount of research that's out there and the amount of really good uh, information out there about how to increase your negotiation. And I mean, let's let's be honest. It, whether you're you're negotiating a, a massive deal, uh, the a hostage uh, negotiation, or just trying to get your kids to go to sleep, all of this stuff applies. Yeah, this, that's the hardest negotiation. Trying to get my kids to go to sleep. That's the worst. I would rather be in a hostage situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! So, a hundred episodes. I, you know, I'm sure everyone has has, uh, been something interesting has come from it. But what would you say your top three episodes are, or perhaps top three that might have uh, a good financial interest? You know, where what have you learned out of those? Um. And if you had asked me this question three months ago, it would have been different. But uh, recently, we just released our 100th episode. And that, I think, has become one of my favorites. That's with Robert Greene, where we talk about his book, The 48 Laws of Power. I I really love that. The reason I love that is because I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about power. um, And they think that power, for some reason, is a bad thing. And that's not necessarily true. And some people think that power is, you know, immoral, and, and this is an important distinction. But in fact, power is amoral, meaning that that's just, just a lack of morality and power. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. It's just power. And so, for for us to learn about power, who develops power, how they develop power, especially in negotiation, I think is really, really important because I think a lot of us go in assuming that we are less powerful than we think we are, um, <clears throat> than we actually are, I should say, or the other side is less powerful than they actually are. And that could really get us into a world of hurt. So that for me was one of my favorites. The other one is um, the episode that we were talking about earlier on decision quality, episode 68 with Annie Duke, where we uh, we speak about how we can learn to make better decisions. And one thing that she touches on, which we don't really get into in the episode, but I think is important for people to understand, and this is good for the guys in the finance game, I think it's sort of natural when, you, when you're a bit of a math geek, is probabilistic thinking. You know, what's the likelihood of something happening? So understanding this, the statistics behind a decision is, I think is really, really important because it helps you to drive where you're going to focus. So if... If I know that the decision is, you know, 70%, meaning it's going to be 70% likely that the person's going to make X decision, how would I phrase that to increase that probability? So understanding that you can change the probability through your phrasing or through your influence is a really big deal. A lot of people assume that, you know, the probability is, is stuck. There is no likelihood of them changing. But the truth is you can influence the probability by changing how you react to a situation or ask a question or use your body language. And that's called influence, right? That's called persuasion. How do we influence the other party to increase the probability of a decision being made in our favor? So that's really cool. And then episode 53 was a big one for me. That's with Joe Navarro. He's one of my one of my heroes when it comes to body language. I think in my opinion, the world's foremost expert on body language. He's written a number of great books. 
um, on body language. They're all fantastic. Most recently, he just released a book called the, uh, the Dictionary of Body Language, which goes through head to toe what your body language gestures um, mean, like the way that your eyebrows furrow or when your eyes increase in size or they dilate or how your nose twitches from your hands and your nervous tendencies to your legs and everything in between. It's, it's really amazing how he details everything out and, and what they mean and understanding our body language, which according to Albert Maravanian is like 55% of our communication is, is really, really important, right? Like 55% is body language. And then I think it's 30, what is it? 33% maybe, or 38, 38% is vocal tendencies, which means that, what is that? 97% or 93%, 93% of our communication is all nonverbal, meaning not the words that we use. So our, our voice and our body. So if you can understand 55% of that, which is your body language, that's a big deal. And so many people are, are like defaulting to text negotiation or email negotiation. And it drives me insane because you're missing out on like 93% of communication when you do that. So I, I just think understanding body language, understanding vocal tendencies, understanding inflection points in the voice, all of that kind of stuff is so important to being an effective negotiator. It's something that um, I had Mark Bowden on, who's a, a non-verbal communication expert as well. And, you know, the reason why I brought him on for the world of finance is that when you get up in front of a room and you're pitching a deal or you're negotiating terms and you're going back and forth, even just across a, a table, yeah, your the visual cues you give off are so powerful. Huge. And, I've seen some of the best in the business walk into boardrooms and walk out with checks, just like what well, didn't even think about it. But then you have others who falter. You have others who, uh, I mean, even down to the way they're dressed, they've, they haven't thought through and prepared and, and walked in and, and demonstrated the control that they have. And I think in the world of finance, it's so important because as, as CEOs, when you walk in that boardroom, you're saying to the people, Either get off your own money or get off your client's money. Give it to me and I'm going to make it more. But That's if you right. don't have the absolute just power and confidence in your stride, people see through that regardless oh, of the words you say. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's such a, uh, a huge thing. And, and oftentimes it's, it's in a way theatrical. And that's what I, I've advised CEOs is that you have to go put on a show. You have to, well, one, I mean, be prepared, but go in there and put on a show so that everyone in that room knows who's boss. Yeah, no question. I mean, if it's the different, unless you're Mark Zuckerberg, you can't stroll into a boardroom with a hoodie, right? Like it's, you've mm -hmm. got to make sure that you're dressed for the occasion. I, it, what was that? There's a great movie with, um, oh shoot, I forget his name, but he's, he's, he's recently divorced and so he's got a buddy who's helping him out to try and like change how he looks and all that kind of stuff. And he's wearing New Balance sneakers. And his buddy says, hey, hang on a second. Are you billionaire Steve Jobs? And the guy says, no. Well, then you have no right to wear New Balance sneakers when you're trying to impress <laughs> a woman. 
and he throws them out, right? I mean, the same is true when it comes to pitching anything. You, you want to make sure that you're dressed for the occasion, not only that, that you've practiced ahead of time, that you're, all your nervous tendencies have been practiced out. Mm. And a lot of people have the, the misconception that their body is saying the same thing that their mouth is saying, but sometimes they're saying the opposite thing. So to get congruency between what your voice is saying and your mouth is saying to what your body is saying is a big deal because oftentimes that's, we don't know. And that's, I think that's something that's often, often over, over, um, overlooked is that congruency because yeah. it's when, when your words are saying one thing and your body is just, you know, in a way shaking, you, yeah. uh, you lose people because that, that incongruency just gives them that gut feel of something's not right here. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, in fact, I'm going to be interviewing Mike Caro from Caro's Book of Tells, the mad genius of poker this afternoon. He talks about this in his book where he, he talks about the nervous tendencies that we have in a tell situation. And essentially what you're doing in that presentation is you, you're showing off all of your tells. If you're super nervous and you're unsure of yourself, then that feeds into the people that are watching you and they're thinking now, well, is he, un is he nervous about himself or is he nervous about his offer? Because if, if his pitch is, if he's nervous about his pitch, then he's not confident in what he's doing. Should we be investing money? Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> well, it's a big one. Uh, so I think it's uh, worthwhile taking a look and, and keeping body language in mind. Something I, I want to step back to a couple episodes, one with, with Robert Green that you just did. Something that I thought was interesting we got to keep in mind is best intentions versus their actions. Yeah, That's it's the high watermark, man. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, you can't judge pe people based on their intentions. What is, yeah. What's the saying? The road to hell is paved with the best intentions, <laughs> right? Well, like you've got to judge pe people based on their actions because the actions are what execution is everything. Yes. And, and, but I mean, we've all heard that before in those, Hey, listen, I really want the best for you. I want the best for your company. You know, we need to do this, but it's, you know, trying to come across as they're really doing you uh, a solid yeah. when it's just, it's, it's, it's going to be their actions that are going to tell. So, so don't fall into that trap is really what, what I was getting out of Robert Green there. Yeah. And, and look at their history, right? Like it's very clear to know where the person's actions lie based on their history of investments. So if you know that, you know, in the past they've invested and they've really did have the best of intentions and their actions showed it, their history should show that. Yeah. But if their history shows the opposite, then, then what they've said, i.e. their intentions, then do you really want to pitch to that investor group? Yeah. And, the, you know, this is something that a, a lot of people have said or a lot of guests have said that you need to do your due diligence on those who are writing the checks the same way they're going to do the due diligence on you as a deal. Yeah. And you can picture this, and I, and I really want to emphasize this point because when people are writing checks into companies, they're not doing it just because they like you. They might be a shark or they might be uh, just a solid investor, but they're doing it for their best interest. So falling into the trap of just listening to their words of their good intentions could really get you in a, in a sore spot. Exactly yeah. true. You know, I wanted to touch on another episode, episode 79. And this was Donald Trump's negotiating tactics. <laughs> I got a lot of hate mail on. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of hate mail on that episode, man. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
I, I'm not going to say for good reason, but I'm sure I'm sure it would happen. But it is an interesting subject. What what did you take from that? Yeah, look, I mean, the at the end of the day, Trump is just a polarizing figure, right? So the thing is, is it doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter how you describe him and what side you sit on. You're going to get people <laughs> who sit on the other side who are super, super passionate. And they're, they're just going to hate you regardless. So, I, I mean, I went in sort of expecting that people were going to hate on me for this. But the truth of the matter is that uh, Marty Latz, who wrote the book, did a ton of research. Um, and his book, by the way, for those listening, is called The Real Trump Deal, an eye-opening look at how he really negotiates. Uh, and, and he looked at like 20 years of court cases and a, a bunch of other stuff and the history of of Trump's negotiation styles. And the conclusion that basically he came to was, you know, in Trump's youth, he was he was basically a savant. Like he, he got deals done that n- no one could have done. Like there's hmm. no way that people could have been that successful in deals. And then he got famous and then all of that went to shit and he just basically started negotiating on, on power and, and fame. Um, whether you believe that or not, that's up to you. The fact is the book was written, it was researched, and you've got to now make up your own mind about Donald Trump's negotiation style. He's, he's a polarizing guy, man. Like, what can I say? So, I mean, my position on the whole thing is he's there for a reason, right? Like, he, it's not like he, he just appeared as the president. He's he's there for a reason. He, whether it's great marketing or great negotiation or great leverage, doesn't matter. He got there, so he made he, it. Yeah, you got to deal with the facts of he is there, and he is the one that is now negotiating these enormously intricate um, deals, like between China and um, between you know South America and Mexico and Canada, and it's. At the end of the day, he was voted in, and you, you're either going to support what he does or you're not going to support what he does. And unfortunately, because of the way that he says things, <laughs> he, he just he gets a lot of people riled up pretty quick, and a lot of people get really emotional about it. And yeah, I mean, I don't get emotional either way. It, I mean, it just is. It just is what it is, right? I'm, I'm fortunate in that I don't live in the U.S., so I don't have to deal with that every day, but... It's, um, it just is. Is he a good negotiator? Oh man. You're going to get me more hate mail, man. That's, that's really what I'm after here. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was, I think he was a really good negotiator. I think he was a brilliant negotiator actually. Um, especially early on in his career, I think he was really, really brilliant. Uh, is he a good negotiator now? I think he has I think he has the ability. I think he has the ability to be a good negotiator. Whether or not he actually is, I, I don't know. I, I mean it sounds like a cop out answer. I don't know, right? Like I'm not sitting behind closed doors with him and his chief of staff and you know the the head of the military and all of those guys. I I don't see what happens behind closed doors. I mean, we see the sensationalized 
views of people who have been there and then the media blows it up. But what's the real truth? We, we just don't know. Um, and so I think time will tell. Time will tell whether or not his, his actions have proven to be correct. I mean, yeah. let's go back to the 48 laws of power, right? Like he's, he's got intentions that are very public. Do we know whether or not those are what he is, what he, what he actually believes or what he wants us to believe or what he's just telling the media, media to divert attention away from another topic? I think he's, I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for, but I, I just don't know where he's at in terms of his skill set now. I mean, based on the research that I've read that Marty Latz put together, it's quite clear that in his youth, he, he really rocked the negotiation world. Like he was really good, but what is he like now? I just don't know. Fascinating. It's, uh, interesting to see the history there. And I think that's definitely a book to put on the list. Um, I want to touch on one more before, uh, I, I know you've got to run here. This would be the episode with Chris Voss, never split the difference. And I think you and I are going to sound like fanboys for Chris Voss, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the reason why I'm going to say that, that that was so powerful is, uh, after listening to that episode, which was really fascinating, I got his book and I, I'm not one to just pound through books like I'm Ty Lopez or something. I really enjoy a good book where I can go back three and four times to try to put it to work. Yeah. And I started putting Voss's uh, advice and his, his tactics to work. And damn it, it's, it's powerful. It's yeah. very, very powerful. They actually work. That's the crazy thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I think that's the thing that makes his book super unique is he gives you, he gives you the blueprint. He gives you the lines to use. And that's, that's super different than most books about negotiation. And if you actually apply those things, you'll find very quickly that the vast majority of time, they work like yes. really, really well. Yeah. To put a plug there, you have to get the book for the listeners. Yeah. You got to get the book. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you shouldn't because he puts the lines in there and now I use them every day in emails or in, in just even negotiating things like a meeting with you. How am I yeah. supposed to do that, Mark? Uh, <laughs> that was very cheeky, by the way. Very <laughs> cheeky. <laughs> it's it's really it's really powerful. It's really strong. So, um, just looking at time here, Mark. I know you got to run. Where can the where can the listeners find the work you're doing? Uh, where the, where should they be following you? Oh man, uh, I'm I'm everywhere online. If you just type in my name, Mark Raff, and I should be your first search result. Or you can look on my website. That's negotiations.ninja. Or you can just find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you download podcasts. Uh, Negotiations Ninja is there. I'm on LinkedIn. So if you search my name on LinkedIn, um, shoot me a message. Happy to connect. There's no doubt, man. It's, uh, it's awesome to see the amount of work you're, you're putting out. And it's, it, it's so useful. So uh, yeah, look them up. Anyway, Mark, uh, thanks for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on your show. And congratulations. You have an excellent show. I'm very impressed with the progress that you've made. And the show is doing awesome. Hey, man. Appreciate it. And to you, congrats on 100. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. 
Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.